left wrist. Goodbye, dear wrist, small runway to my hand, the way you flex and extend, how I love your soft blonde hairs, the way you shrug into my sleeve when I'm cold. Goodbye to the underside, skin pale as milk, a blue river of blood pulsing, sweet freckle and lump. Today you are broken, skin purpled and swollen, but tomorrow you will be cut and probed, bones poked into place, then plated and screwed into something stronger, better, perhaps bionic. So long to the old, goodbye to the smooth and pristine, hello, ripple, scar, and story. What's the tallest building in town? The library, because it has the most stories. We didn't own a car, so we would go to the library with a shopping cart and fill um, the shopping cart with our books. I was probably about six or seven, and my mom took me to our local library for a story time. I went with my dad every Saturday morning. I remember coming here like since we moved here when I was five, and every summer we did the summer reading program. As the years have gone by, you begin to realize how much you know, interesting stuff the library has to offer besides books. When I was growing up, my aunt would always take me to the library. I was in third grade, and then I loved the library, the Carnegie Library. I went to the story times that were at the library. Well, the librarian was my dad. Welcome to the tallest building in town, where we tell stories about people who use libraries, people who work in libraries, and the amazing things that libraries do. I'm Shauna. And I'm Steve. We work at Sun Prairie Public Library in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin. Coming to you from the Sun Prairie Media Center. Today we're talking about poetry in the context of libraries, because it's true that we both love it. I think it starts there. But speaking more broadly, how do librarians maintain this tradition? Uh, hold space for it, and also bring it to life in new ways for people, both young and old. So we've got some interviews this week, and of course our usual high-minded discussion of whatever the topic (laughs) is at hand. Side note though, when working on this episode, my favorite discovery of how libraries incorporate poetry into their programming, it came from Burbank, Illinois, and the library held an animal poetry (laughs) show where animal puppets read poems about animals for children during National Poetry Month. Did you say that was a side note? Yeah. That should have been the topic of the whole thing. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) While working on this episode, you and I talked about how poetry lifts up voices within our communities, hosting open mics, carry books by Wisconsin poets on our shelves. And I feel like it's one of those art forms that some people forget about. So, like, by creating programs around it or displays, we breathe some fresh air into what might be a sad, dusty book on the shelf or something maybe brand new that people have never heard of. I talked to Carla Houston, who's the uh, Poet Laureate of Wisconsin, and we talk a little bit about that people often don't realize that there's actually working poets today who aren't, like, teenagers who are writing, like, depressing emo poems, which are great, by the way. I've got a whole book of them at home. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And they're not, like, older, retired people who don't have anything else to do. You know, like, there's, like, serious people doing serious work through poetry and voices that 
need to be heard. Well, I think that poetry can be intimidating for some people. And I like how Carla talks about how to explore if you're unsure on where to start. And also how she works with adults experiencing dementia and going to memory cafes and using poetry as a tool to work within the frame of memory loss. Mm. But I like how Amy talks about poetry being a language of love and protest. Speaking for myself as a kid, probably my first experience with poetry, besides like the poetry of the Psalms of the Bible, um, would be like Shel Silverstein and Where the Sidewalk Ends. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and that's very, that's very rhymy and it's funny and it's like, you know, they tell stories and there's like a funny little picture with each one. Yeah, a cartoon. Yeah, yeah. So that's a different, I mean, it's poetry and I feel like that's what kids generally get exposed to. So you, I mean, you like to read poetry, modern day living poets. I do. Do you? Yeah, absolutely. And I like to go see poetry when it's performed. Me too. Really, like when it's a performance, you know, not just a reading. Mm -hmm. Readings are fine, but... Readings are great. Yeah, I mean, some people just get really into it and it just feels more performancey and and emotional. Yeah, it depends on the poet. I'm still on that stage. Yeah, definitely. I personally have a difficult time deciding why I love poetry. Mm. Like if I really have to... think about it and say it out loud so I love trying to think about this some recent favorites of mine are Richard Sykin's Crush which actually came out in 2005 he's queer I like that he studied psychology I think it shows in his poems and the reason I fell in love with his style though and language is because it swerves around and surprises me Hmm. my favorites usually feel like a dance Scheherazade Tell me about the dream where we pull the bodies out of the lake and dress them in warm clothes again. How it was late and no one could sleep. The horses running until they forget that they are horses. It's not like a tree where the roots have to end somewhere. It's more like a song on a policeman's radio. How we rolled up the carpet so we could dance. And the days were bright red, and every time we kissed, there was another apple to slice into pieces. Look at the light through the window pane. That means it's noon. That means we're inconsolable. Tell me how all this, and love too, will ruin us. These are bodies possessed by light. Tell me we'll never get used to it. In general, I like the way, though, he plays with perspective. He sets a scene, and as soon as you feel comfortable, he pulls you right out of it. And another favorite is Ada Limon. Um, I've been reading from Bright Dead Things from 2015, but she also just came up with a book of poems that's at the, your local library, called The Carrying. Hmm. And I like how visceral her writing is, even though I know people use that word a lot, is the best word I could think of. <laughs> if it, it forces me to turn inward quickly for some reason. And I was trying to figure out, like, why is that? Um, I, th- I think what happens in my brain is she references nature and animals a lot. And I often, often when I'm in nature, I'm in a meditative state, so... Her language forces me to like zoom in and pay attention for some reason. Field bling. Nights when it's warm and no one is watching. I walk to the edge of the road and stare at all the fireflies. 
I squint and pretend they're hallucinations, bright made-up waves of the brain. I call them field bling. I call them fancy creepies. It's been a long time since I've wanted to die. It makes me feel like taking off my skin suit and seeing how my light flies all on its own, neon and bouncy like a wannabe star. I go, I go to see poets a lot, and um, I guess I really like to find sort of local poets that I like. And I just have to say, and I think um, Carla mentions him, Max Garland, who was the poet laureate of Wisconsin, a few, a few poets laureate back, mm-hmm. um, who teaches up at Eau Claire, I think. Um, he's, he's amazing. And he, he memorizes his poems. So he'll come up, he'll come to a reading and he'll just stand there with no podium, with nothing, and just start reciting his, his poems. Um, and it's, it's just incredible because you don't see that very often. There's this organization slash gallery in Madison called the Arts and Literature Lab, Laboratory. And um, one of the founders is Rita Mae Reese, who is a poet. Um, she, but she has this great poetry cycle, uh, a book, where all the poems are related. And it's, it's the story, sort of the story of Flannery O'Connor, who's one of my favorite writers. Feast day for Flannery O'Connor. When we eat wheat, we devour the sun. So in this room filled with permanent flowers, let us celebrate not with fasting, but with Red Sammy Butts barbecue. Lord, let us sink to our knees under the weight of Southern appetites. Let us devour meatballs and turnip greens, rum balls and goose eggs, all brined in the salt of resurrection. Lord, let us fill our hollow legs with pink chiffon pie and Cokes spiked with coffee. Let us devour the landscape, every cotton field in Georgia and beyond, every real and imagined plantation, every pig farm and waiting room. May we eat and eat and eat, Lord, and make no end of this, her hunger. Arts and Lit Lab always has tons of um, poetry readings. If you're near Madison, check it out. Yeah, or (laughs) artandlitlab.org. Tracy K. Smith, who is the current poet laureate of the United States, just came out with a collection, which I wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, it's called American Journal, 50 Poems for Our Times. She has an incredible array of voices, you know, talking about everything from, you know, like reminiscing about their their life, small town, to, you know, issues of race and identity and love and protests and you know, like all the important things. And that's like how I end up finding poetry through recommendations, which is partly like why we wanted to do that today. Yeah. Well, so I got to talk to Amy Lutzke, who is the assistant director at Dwight Foster Library in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. It's not called the Fort Atkinson Public Library. If you, if you drive through downtown Fort Atkinson, you see poems written on, on the walls downtown. There are words uh, from poems from a poet who lived in Fort Atkinson. Her name was Lorraine Niedeker, and they do a poetry festival every year, the Lorraine Niedeker Poetry Festival, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, where they bring in people, bring in poets from all over to, to talk, and people come in and learn about Lorraine and study her work. And, and so I, I knew about it from that, and I thought it'd be really cool to talk to Amy because she is, kind of works directly with the collection at the library. 
And then the other person we talked to is Carla Houston, who's actually the poet laureate of the state of Wisconsin. And she's doing work out in her community and going to libraries. Right. And whether it's memory cafes and seeing how poetry is linked to helping memory loss, but going to libraries and speaking on that topic as well. I'm Amy Lutsky. I am the assistant director at the Dwight Foster Public Library in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And I am also a board member on the Friends of Lorene Niedecker. She grew up primarily in a rural area southwest of the city um, called Blackhawk Island. Blackhawk Island runs along the north bank of the Rock River up to where it creates Lake Koshkanong. And mm. so it's a pretty wild place. She went to Fort Atkinson schools. Her father was a carp saner and her mother a homemaker. And what, what so year that, is this? This is probably about 1900 to about 1925. After high school, Lorene went to Beloit College for uh, about a year, but then she had to return. Um, her mother needed care, and her father, their money wasn't good, so she came back to Blackhawk Island. She was always very interested in poetry, wrote it in high school, and she read an issue of Origin in, in which Louis Zukofsky described a type of poetry called objectivism in which basically you strip out the emotionality of things and simply describe the essence of the object. There were several poets who wrote in that vein, Louis Zukofsky, Lorene, Paul Reznikoff, and some others. And we like to think here in Fort Atkinson that Lorene is the preeminent <laughs> um, example of objectivist poetry <laughs> from that era. Foreclosure. Tell them to take my bare walls down, my cement abutments, their parties thereof and claws of claws. Leave me the land, scratch out the land. May prose and property both die out and leave me peace. So she started a correspondence with Louis Zukofsky after reading that, and they became lifelong friends, correspondence that continued between the two of them until Lorene passed away. So her, her poetry was concerned with the distillation of images and thoughts into a very concise expression, and she described her work as a condensory. Since her death in 1970, major critics have identified her as a significant and original voice in contemporary American poetry, and she's now considered an important modernist poet, one whose work anticipates the concerns of 21st century poetics, such as the intersections of biological, political, and cultural frames in astonishing ways. She was very admired by her poetic peers, and her reputation as a major 20th century poet has continued to expand since her death. Her collected works were published in 2001. So it's interesting that she would latch on to that particular style. Do you think that it was because of where she lived or because of coming from rural Wisconsin, do you think that that affected the type of poetry that she wrote? Yes. Her life out there on Blackhawk Island was the inspiration for much of her poetry. She found inspiration in the natural environment, the floods, the birds, river, trees, 
all of it informed her worldview and her poetry. She sometimes thought of as living an isolated life, but her correspondence with other poets, including Louis Zukovsky, who was in New York, and Sid Corman, who was in Japan, um, maintained her connection with the literary world. How did the Friends of Lorene Niedeker get started and the poetry festival that you host? Lorene died in 1970. Um, her husband brought a collection of Lorene's personal library books to the library to give them to the library. Over time, people in the poetry world kind of began to come to Fort Atkinson to seek out who had this woman been, what, what did she leave behind that we can look at, that we can study? And Mary Gates, the library director at that time, became sort of the de facto archivist and research assistant for things related to Lorene Niedecker. In 2003, um, Woodland Pattern in Milwaukee spearheaded a three-day conference, a centenary celebration of Lorene's life. She had been born in 1903. And that conference just really sparked a Again, um, a lot more interest in Lorene and in her work and who she was. Mary decided she wanted to step down as that person, and as um, the assistant director here at the library, I was asked to be the main Niedecker person here at the library. And so in thinking about what kinds of things we wanted to do and what we needed to do, it seemed to me that creating a separate nonprofit organization so that we could raise funds to do that stuff um, was uh, would be a good plan of attack. So we did that. We incorporated into the Friends of Lorene Niedecker in 2005. The organization's role is to educate and promote Lorene Niedecker as Wisconsin's preeminent poet and to keep her legacy going. And we decided then we needed to do an annual Lorene Niedecker Wisconsin Poetry Festival that focused on Wisconsin writers and poets and artists. And so um, that has been going on now. Um, this year was the 10th year that we did a poetry festival, um, and it incorporates writing workshops, art, open mic readings, all of those aspects to bring people who enjoy poetry and write poetry together. That sort of leads into my sort of big, big picture question, which is, why is poetry important in 2018? I think poetry is such an early form of storytelling for humankind that I think it's almost a deep part of our psyche. And it seems that each generation revives this literary form, um, building on what came before us, from the old pieces of pottery that we found in, find in archaeological digs that have little pieces of poetry on, to rap music today. It's all this same literary form, um, and it it's a, a, a imagery, a wordplay that uh, is the language of love. It's the language of protest. It's a language of history. It's a language of fable. It can be dark and compelling. It can be light and funny, but it challenges the reader or the listener to step into the space of the poet. I think libraries can be very instrumental in maintaining the uh, tradition of poetry in your community. So I would encourage libraries to try to um, bring poetry to their community whenever they can.
My name is Carla Houston. I'm the Poet Laureate of Wisconsin for 2017 and 2018. The current Poet Laureate program started in, in the late 90s where a group of um, passionate people got together and decided to form a committee which just laid out what they thought Poet Laureate could do for the state. How does that work as, as far as someone becoming the Poet Laureate? Yeah, there's an application process that asks for sample poems from prospective Poets Laureate and also kind of like a resume of activities you've been involved in, books you may have uh, published readings you participate in, maybe a teaching affiliation. Um, And then they usually are asking for a plan of what you might do as Poet Laureate to promote poetry in the state of Wisconsin during your two-year term. How did you feel when when they named you Poet Laureate? Oh, I was very excited. I did not actually believe it. (laughs) I mean, it was totally, I mean, I I know personally the other poets who've been in that finalist position, many of them, and there are some wonderful, wonderful poets in the state. And then, you know, my thing that I've been working on for the last two years is working with the elders in our community who suffer from mild uh, memory loss. So I've done quite a few memory cafes, which are social organizations, mostly to connect people with memory loss and their caregivers to resources, provides a sense of community, brings people together for social interaction. Getting old is not for the faint of heart, and losing your memory is even more isolating. So I've had an opportunity to work with memory cafes and restaurants and in libraries and in um, senior community centers and in care centers all over the state. People that I've worked with seem to really like it, seem to really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. So how many uh, or about how many um, different events have you done over your tenure as Poet Laureate? Last year, I spoke to over 2,000 people traveled about 7,000 miles. I did uh, 13 memory cafes, six interviews, readings, talks, and visits to schools, about 45. You do a lot of speaking at libraries. How, what, what, what is that like? Is it just you reading poems? I think that especially for people who are not readers of poetry, it's hard to listen. For example, I was at the Cudahy Library last Thursday. I read a few poems. We talked a little bit. We had a conversation about poetry and memory. Then I read a few more poems and we chatted some more. You know, I was a high school teacher, so you can't just speechify people Mm. for an hour. You have to get them engaged in the, you know, having them be part of the process of the event. Libraries are often community gathering places, and I think you might see a different group of people who might show up at a library than you would at a um, poetry reading in a funky coffee shop or in a bar. The group that was at Cudahy Library last week, a small group, but a group of people who really like poetry, and this was something in their community. I think it's reading in libraries in small communities is especially important because they don't have many other opportunities to hear poetry. So libraries become that resource for them. People write poetry. I think often people are afraid to share it because they're afraid it's not any good. Hmm. So when you can get new poets up at an open mic and 
they find out we're not going to bite you, <laughs> and they find out we really like what you've written, they're just kind of like stunned. <laughs> that was what happened to me when I first started writing poetry in the 90s in, here in Appleton. I started going to the local readings and reading at the open mic, and everybody was so kind, hmm. and everybody was so encouraging. It just sent me home wanting to write more poetry. And I tell people, you know, when people especially who are not familiar with reading poetry, that the library is your best friend because you can see all these books of poetry for free. You can just check out as many as you want, read what you like, take them back, get some more. One of my favorite poets, she listed her favorite poets and poems, and I wrote them down, went to the Appleton Library, took all those books home with me, all, everything that she recommended, <laughs> and read every single word of it. But I thought, wow, here's some recommendations. It's hard sometimes when you're faced with three great big shelves of poetry to know what to pick out. I always tell people, just take a handful of books and sit down on the floor and flip through them, find a couple things that you like, set that book you know, aside to check out, but of course put them back where they belong. <laughs> you know, when I go to a library in the, some of the small libraries in the state and see that they don't have very many poetry books or many contemporary poetry books, kind of makes me sad. Not that, they, not that they don't have my book, that's fine, but there are a lot of contemporary poetry work. It's just wonderful. If I were going to advise people on where to start with poetry, I would start with what's being written and published now hmm. and then work backwards. Because the more poetry you read, the better reader you will be. I think it's hard to get the news from some of those classic poets who often spoke in ab you know, abstract abstractions and spoke, spoke more about ideas than things. Hmm. Uh, writers today are often expressing ideas as things, and I think it's easier to understand that work. Language is more conversational, less stiff. So starting with what's new and then going backwards um, is a good way to learn to read poetry, I think. Now that you've said that, I have to ask, uh, what are your recommendations for, for, for contemporary poets? Um, anything by Stephen Dunn, Gerald Stern, Donald Hall, absolutely. Ted Kuzer have all of his books. My favorite poet, Dorian Locke, Denise Duhamel, and then, of course, the really fine poets in the state of Wisconsin. Max Garland, of course. Yeah. John Loomis. There are too many. Yeah. There are a lot of wonderful Milwaukee poets as well. I read an article not too long ago. Um, it was saying that people are reading more poetry now than they have in years. And I wonder, part of that is because of the way that we communicate now in shorter bursts of communication, you know, whether that's Twitter or, you know, whatever, I guess it's, you know, usually related to, to social networks in some way, but that people yeah. seem to, you know, be able to appreciate that more. Part of the reason, too, is the proliferation of writing programs in the country. Hmm. There are students um, you know, they start, kids are attracted to poetry when they're young because of the rhyme um, and the very musical quality of it. And then you're going to hook a few more when they get into those angst-filled middle school years. <laughs> you know? And if they're really serious, you know, they're going to be continuing to write. I've talked to people who've been writing poetry since they were five years old. Hmm. That wouldn't be me. Uh, so how, how long have you been a poet? I started writing poetry in uh, about 1994-95, and I started getting serious about it in 19 1996 when I started taking some graduate-level classes. So I was about 45 years old when I started. Um, never would have imagined in a million years as a graduate from West Salem High School, West Salem, Wisconsin, <laughs> that I would be doing this. 
50 years later. It just would have never crossed my mind. And I don't remember, uh, although I'm sure we, we had it, but I don't really remember doing any creative writing in my high school English class. You know, when I went back to school in the 90s to become a, an English teacher, I met a couple of people who were writers. Um, I remember talking to a college professor who was teaching an American lit class I was in, and he was a published poet, is but he's now retired. But I remember asking him the dumbest questions about Emily Dickinson. You know, like, how did she do that? We touched on this a little bit, but it's 2018. Why should we have a poetry a, a poet laureate in the state? Why why is poetry important? I think even more importantly than any of the other literary art, poetry creates empathy. And Lord knows we need empathy these days. Hmm. We have to be able to step into someone else's shoes and say, okay, I get it. We're different, but I get it. And all literature, good literature, creates empathy. But poetry, I think, especially, especially when... You know, times are tough when there's a lot of um, political um, uproar. You know, poets are the ones who are going to get out there and write stuff, shout it, you know, shout it from the rooftops. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why poetry is important in 2018 and beyond. The Wisconsin Poet Laureate is a really great position that um, there's a new one that's going to be chosen for next year, the next two years. So it'll be cool to see who that will be. Very exciting. I mean, I, these are the kind of things that we talk about. It's like <laughs> fantasy football, only it's fantasy poet laureate. <laughs> you pick your team and then... Part of the reason I was excited listening to our interviews was because in the beginning when we talked about doing this podcast, we talked about trying to highlight voices from more rural spaces and rural libraries. Yeah. And because we don't often get to hear from them. Right. And so I felt like we were accomplishing that a bit in this episode. I think so. I'd like to accomplish it more in the fu- in future episodes as well. Yeah. So the tallest building in town turned one. Yeah. We've been doing it a whole year, and we're super excited that it's been going on that long consistently. Yeah. Happy birthday to us. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> like our first one, we just totally made up as we went along. Yeah, we just went live and didn't even know what was going to happen. Yeah. And a lot has a lot has changed since then. Happy birthday, Steve. Thanks, Shauna. Happy birthday to you. We should get some cake or something. <laughs> yeah.